So we start a new series today. And if you want to find Philippians in your Bible. Now, I'm a little bit anxious today because I'm using a brand new Bible. About every two years, I switch Bibles so that I don't have any new notes in them. And uh, so this is the first time I've preached out of this Bible. And this is the New, Ameri- the New International Version, which is the same one that's in the pewbacks if you want a paper copy of the Bible uh, to follow along with. So we are in Philippians, and if you are not using the New Bible, you may notice that there are some notes in there already. A couple of years ago, we had uh, Philippians as one of our summer series and uh, uh, I didn't preach any of those, but I think John and uh, Jeff and Robert and maybe Brian preached through Philippians in July. So why Philippians? Well, here's the deal. Every year, we need to talk a little bit about money. Now, the good part of that is that I'm going to only talk about money today but I'm going to talk about generosity for the next six weeks. So I, I want to talk about generosity, but, but, but I have to sort of couch it because we appreciate that you are so faithful in your giving. And yet there are some of you who are new and may not understand how it works around here. This is a volunteer operation. Everything that we do is because you have been generous enough to contribute to it. But I don't want to talk about money without talking about the why. Because the the what is that we give our money, right? The what is that we put offering in the plate or we text to give or we, I I don't know, whatever bank draft, whatever you do. That's the what. But the why is what's going on inside. So let me talk about the difference between input and output. Output, it's all the things that we do, all the things that we uh, participate in. We, we go to worship. We go to a Bible study. We go on a mission trip. We put money in the plate. We sign up to lead something. We, we volunteer somewhere. We sing in the choir. We play an instrument. That's, that's output. That's the what. The why is why we do all those things. I have never had a greater moment in the baptistry, Chris, than just a few minutes ago. What is your profession? I'm a general contractor. (laughs) Yes, you are, and I will put that gift to work right here at the church. (laughs) Our profession is that we are a Christ follower, and then we're something else. Then we're some kind of talent. Then we're a doctor, a lawyer, a pastor, a friend, a teacher. We are a follower of Christ, and we happen to get to do all of that stuff. And we make a choice whether we're going to do that in a way that reflects what he's been putting in us, input, in a way that is output and visible. Here's the problem with that. God has made an investment in us. And, and that, that it's, 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 it's ironic and interesting. The, the, the letter to the Philippians is a thank you note for a monetary gift. 
That's one of the main purposes that Paul wrote this letter to this little church. And I'll tell you more about that in a second. But, but he wrote this church to thank them for participating financially in his ministry and in a gift of money that he was collecting for the church in Jerusalem, which was under tremendous persecution. And so he was writing a letter for what we call chapters in order to thank them for a monetary gift. But then he spends the rest of it, most of it, talking about the why. This is why you're able to give, because God has invested in us. He's invested in us the gospel. You're going to hear that in a minute. In the baptistry, what is your profession of faith? I profess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He was born of a virgin. He lived. He grew up. He taught. He taught us how to live. He was arrested by uh, the Romans at the request of the Jews. He was crucified. He was buried. On the third day, he arose, and he promises to return once again at the end of all things. That is the gospel. And he's invested that in us. He's, he's planted that in us. He's, he's forced fed that in us. He's he's allowed us to have that, and that's what Paul is writing about for the most part. But back to input and output. There's a word that we use a lot around here when we don't want to talk about money directly. We call it stewardship. We don't call it begging for money. We say instructing on stewardship. And what stewardship is, is it's, it's a management of resources. So you are a steward of the things that you have. And we talked about this before, whether you're 8 or 88, you have time, you have some talent, you are a musician, you are a teacher, you are a, a nurse, you are a general contractor, you, you have some talents. And you have some resources, some monetary resources. And all three of those things are things that we manage, we steward. We are, we are uh, operators who say, here's how I'm going to allocate my time. Here's how I'm going to allocate my talent. Here's how I'm going to allocate my money. It's like, it's like you have a pizza and a, and a roller thing, and you're cutting it up and deciding where the slices go. So our input is all that God has investing in us, and our output is who gets the pizza. So here's the problem, at least for me, and I know that none of you are like this, but I'm usually pretty transparent, so I'm going to be. Sometimes my output is motivated by something other than the input that God gives me. Sometimes I give because I think it looks good to do that. Somebody might notice that. Plates going by, pop the bill a couple of times, drop it in there, swipe the card, text other people, checking it out. Sometimes I'm wrongly motivated. Sometimes I, I'm motivated to do output because of guilt, something that I've done or, or, or failed to do or, or something, that mess that I've gotten into, and I've already prayed, God, if you'll only get me out of this, I will fill in the blank, and, and so I'm, I'm motivated Not so much by the discipleship that is growing in me, but by what I think other people might think or or to uh, uh, somehow address the guilt that I feel or or say to God, "You, you really helped me out in a tight spot, so I'm going to. 
I'm not going to miss a quiet time. I'm going to give more than what you think I'm going to give. I'm, I'm going to, and, it, and it's these promises that are so human, and sometimes our motivation just needs to be examined. So I want to talk today about input and output. And I want to talk about it through the lens of this, this tiny little backwater church that's called Philippi. Let's start off with uh, the first two verses. All right? So the first two verses, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So Paul and Timothy are apparently together. Timothy was kind of a protege or a, or, or a, a disciple of Paul's, and they're together. And they describe themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. And now he addresses the letter to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, here's a letter to people who follow Christ. He's not expecting people who don't follow Christ to give to uh, causes that are, are Christ-oriented uh, causes. He's saying to all of you who are followers of Christ, at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Now, pardon the history geek in me. It's going to come out again. Philippi is a little bitty town. If you look at a map... And you see Greece over here. Here's Macedonia. Here's the Peloponnesian Peninsula. Here's Greece. And way over here is Turkey, what we call Turkey today, or Asia Minor. In between them is a body of water called the Aegean Sea. And at the far north end of the Aegean Sea, it was a really important port city in that day called Neapolis. And about 10 miles further north, inland, across an incredibly fertile plain, was the tiny city of Philippi. And through the middle of Philippi ran one of the most important roads that the Romans ever built. It's called the Ignatian Way, or the Via Ignatia. And it ran from Rome to all the eastern provinces of Rome so that they could get military back and forth, so that they could get supplies back and forth, and more importantly, that they could quickly collect taxes. And so Philippi was a Roman colony. It had been the site of an incredibly big battle between Cassius and Brutus and Octavian and Mark Antony, and they fought that battle there. So most of the citizens of Philippi were former Roman soldiers. They, they finished the battle. They received their land grant from the Roman government. That's the way it worked with you were an officer in the army, and they settled in Philippi. It's, it's, it's sort of the, the hinge between Europe and Asia. And when Paul planted a little church there, it was the first church, Christian church, in all of Europe. And so it's an important place for us to talk about, but the reason that it's really fun to talk about is because in this letter, it's different than some of the others. If you read Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians, Paul's mad at somebody. He's fussing at them. I mean, he is just locked and loaded on the Galatians and on the Colossians and on the Ephesians. But in this letter, there's no fussing. He, he doesn't have anything 
that, 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 that is crisis-oriented. There's no, there's no dire crisis going on in Philippi. He's writing them for three reasons. One, he's saying, I love you. And I so resonated this as a pastor. Look, he says to all of the holy people in Christ Jesus, grace, peace be with you from our God and Father. I thank my God every time I remember you. I always remember you in my prayers. And I go, that's why I love being the pastor of this church. It's because there is an affection here. There, we are a church that's not known for our division, not known for our fussing and fighting. We don't, we don't really have a reputation for, for being contentious, for throwing people out and letting only certain people in. We, we are a church that's known by our love for each other, and it is the greatest privilege in the world to be the pastor of this church. And so Paul is writing to the Philippians saying, I love you guys. And secondly, he's saying, thank you. You guys have been really generous. You have given money for my support, but you've also given money for this offering. And, and when we read a lot of the, the books, the letters that Paul wrote, we, we see a mention of this offering. And he is constantly collecting funds for the church in Jerusalem because they were so persecuted by the Jewish people and by the Romans that they were starved of resources. Nobody would do business with them. Nobody would transact anything. And so they were constantly in need. And Paul felt like that the other churches could help. And it was like a mission partner. And so he said, thank you for that gift. And then the third thing was instruction. If you know anything about Paul's letters, all of his letters have the same pattern. The first half of the, the letter is what to think, and the last half of the letter is what do you do with it. So he says the, 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 the theoretical and the practical. And so the last couple of chapters especially, Paul is saying, here's how we live in unity Here's how you keep on loving each other. Here's how you demonstrate that love, even as God demonstrated that love for you. But remember, we're at a place where we're talking about inputs and outputs. That input is all the things that God is pouring into us, the things that we're learning from the Scripture, the things that we feel, as Robert said, when we sing those songs of faith. The love that we sense. Uh, uh, yesterday I did a, a, another funeral. Uh, I've been a part of 18 funerals since August. And every single one of them, if I didn't stand there and have that sense of hope that there is something better, something more, something different than today. That yes, we grieve the loss yesterday of an of a almost 90-year-old woman who, who left behind an incredible family. And we, we wept over her passing, but we couldn't help but go, but we know that 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 there is, there is something that God is investing in us, this hope of eternity, this, this sense that this life is not all there is, the sense that, that we are, are followers of Christ in this life, but we look at something far, far greater. In Paul's letter in the passage we're reading, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That there is, there is something to that. 
And so the input is that he continues to pour into us. Well, let's look at what he poured into this church. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Verse 4, in all my prayers for you. Verse 9, and this is my prayer for you. When we partner, we pray. We had the, the videos of our missions partners telling us Happy New Year, in part to remind us to keep praying for them. Uh, Anita Favors, as she works on the streets of Atlanta down there near the old Turner Field, trying to get kids off the streets. Or the, the lady that said she was short and funny. She works in a ministry called Heartbound. And Heartbound makes sure that women who are incarcerated, particularly at the Whitfield uh, Women's Prison up in Hartsville, Hartwell, Georgia, she makes sure that they have an opportunity to go to class and to, uh, to uh, learn skills to have their family involved in their incarceration to the point that there's not complete alienation. They're, they're doing the work, right? And so when we partner, we pray. And Paul says, here's my prayer. In all my prayers, I pray with you, pray with joy. And by the way, if you have a brand new Bible and you go through Philippians and circle the words joy or rejoice, you're going to discover another theme of the book of Philippians. He was, he was all about joy. And so he says, I'm overjoyed because of your partnership. If you're a Greek scholar, the word partnership there is translated from koinonia, which is a word that we use all the time to talk about fellowship. He said, your partnership in the gospel from this day now, I'm confident of this, that he began a good work, will carry it on to completion. I am the sixth pastor of this church, really the seventh, because the guy who kind of started it all won't call himself a pastor. And I have been privileged to build on all of their efforts. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good thing, a good work, a solid gospel-centric, people-loving people kind of church, he's going to continue to perfect it, complete it, until he returns, until the day of Christ Jesus. And then he keeps on gushing. He says, it's right for me to feel this way. I have you in my hearts. And here's a clue. It's an interesting one. Whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel. So here we get the first clue that Paul's in jail somewhere. Now we know that he was in jail in Philippi. But this is probably not right because he wouldn't need to write him a letter. They could just come see him. Some say he was in jail in Ephesus. Most people believe he was in Rome. But he was writing this letter because he continues to hear about them. He says, I love you guys. So then he says, so here is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more. Dunwoody Baptist Church, you are known for your love. Let it abound more. And then he says, I'm praying for your discernment. I'm praying that it, your love, it grows out of your knowledge and your depth of insight, your knowledge of what the Scripture says and what God is telling us to do. I, I'm praying for your knowledge to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Go to the Bible study. Go to the small group. Watch the podcast. Listen to the sermons. Grow as you study the Scripture. 
because it's going to give you discernment. It's going to help you know how to act and react in this world that's just so messed up. And Paul said it in the first century. I say it in the 21st century. We need the knowledge. We need the discernment so that we know how to act and react in a world that's so messed up. And then he says, so that you may be pure. That can also be translated sincere and blameless for the day of Christ, until Christ comes back, filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. So we partner and we pray. When we are with somebody in a small group, when I, uh, I am privileged to do a wedding or, or a funeral, we, we pray with each other, we, we partner with each other. We, we don't just start meetings with prayer. We, 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 we want prayer to guide what we do. We have a, a prayer ministry here that's incredibly important. If you go to the top of the ramp that's out here and look just to your left, you'll see prayer room. And it's a, it's a small private place where, where people come and they actually bring the things that are concerning to our church, our community, our homes, our world. And they, they bring those before the Lord in, in focused, concentrated prayer. Listen to this. In 2023, 57 different people went in that room. They spent 1,000 180 hours in prayer for us, for you, for our world. They prayed over 26 Dunwoody police officers. They partnered with and prayed over with 2,487, 2,487 prayer grams, the little cards that are sent out that have been so encouraging to so many people. And 296 things happened that only God could do. Recorded in the prayer room, 296 things that were answered. Healings, miracles, provision, opportunity, jobs, possibilities. Almost 300 that acknowledged that they are directly linked to the prayer that took place in that room. That's input, right? God pours into us. Our output, we pray. Our input, he answers. He, he pours into us with hope and with assurance and with encouragement. And 296 times with, hey, I'm hearing you. That person came to know Christ. That job materialized. That family situation, that relationship that was fractured is coming back together. When we partner, we pray. Well, you go on and read the chapter, and uh, Paul goes from kind of a, a sunny disposition to remind them that he's in jail. Now, there are a lot of sentences that I shouldn't ever say and usually those sentences start with, well, if I was God, and anything I say beyond that is going to get me in trouble. But if I was God, I don't know that I'd put Paul in jail. I mean, the guy was a beast. 
He planted churches. He, he trained young men and, and pastors. He, he, he went to this, this place called Philippi, and there's not even a synagogue there. There's not enough men who are, who are God-fearing people to even have a synagogue. So he, he finds a lady who's a businesswoman, and, and she says, well, y'all can have your stuff in my house. And she became a Christian and, and probably financed a good bit of this offering that we're talking about. This guy's a beast. Why would you put him in a little jail cell where he can't be out doing all this stuff? <laughs> Here's why. He says, uh, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Verse 12. What? As a result, <laughs> I love this part. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. So he's in jail, but apparently he's chained to a Roman soldier. So Paul could say, I can't get away from this Roman soldier because I'm chained to him. But more likely, the Roman soldier said, I can't get away from this guy because I'm chained to him. And he only has one topic. There's only one thing he ever talks about. My shift is over. Unbuckle the chains. He's yours for the next eight hours. And he said, because of that adversity, because of that circumstance, because of that incredibly painful and in human terms unjust situation, the gospel is known among the whole Roman military. But that's not all. He says, because I'm not out there, verse 14, because I'm in chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He said, I, I'm locked up in here, but because I'm locked up, it's, it's, it's given some other people the thought that maybe it's their job to do that. Maybe they can have courage. Maybe they can have confidence. And it's really true in churches that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. What if that 20% was 40, 50%? Well, what if some people said, well, that guy's on this group and that work team and this leadership position, and since he seems to be really busy, I probably need to go on the mission trip. I probably need to serve here. I probably need to do this. I probably need to volunteer to sing in the choir or work in the tech team or take a turn in the nursery. Because if, if, if he, the, the, the superstar, the, the, the beast, if he's contained, then other people have to do the stuff. He says the adversity actually has produced something. The test has become a testimony. And when our adversity gives way, and I've got to tell you, most of the time when we're in the middle of something really, really painful, I can talk for me and other people I've talked to. When they're in the middle of it, we can't see all this. We're not able to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And yet Paul was able to model for us that in the midst of something that's incredibly painful, incredibly dark, a 12 by 12 jail cell, if it was that big. 
he sees that God is at work, that the gospel is being unleashed. And he didn't even care why. The next part of it says, hey, there's some people that are preaching because their own gain, they want to they be on the stage. He says, I don't care. The message is always greater than the messenger. The message is always greater than the messenger. And so Paul closes out this section by saying, I know that your prayers, verse 18, 19, for I know that your prayers in God's provision in the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, I know I'm probably going to go long today because I'm not near finished. Guess who Paul is quoting there? Think of an Old Testament guy who suffered a lot. Job. That verse, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, verse 19. That's almost a direct quote of Job 13, 16, where Job says, whatever is happening to me is going to turn out for my salvation. What the, the bad things are going to yield to God things, I don't really get it. I don't really understand it. But Paul is quoting Job when he says, this will work out for my deliverance. And that's where he says, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. All these funerals, we know that if they live on, these godly people will continue to magnify Christ. But if they die, they're going to be with him. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Then he sort of changes gears down a little ways in verse 27. And he says, in light of all this, here's probably what you need to know most. We're better together. We are better together. If you're watching us online, we're glad but I wish you could feel the energy in this room. If you're watching in your pajamas, I don't want to know about it, but if you were in this room, there is a love, there's an energy, there is a support. There, when we were singing the songs, there was this sense that we are connecting with God because we know we need Him for the new year and we know we need each other. So Paul says it this way, Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's an interesting sentence, too, because the word conduct says act like a citizen. Now, if you know anything about Roman history, citizenship was a really important thing. When Paul was about to be flogged one time, he said, hey, I'm a citizen of Rome. And they said, back, 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 back can't flog a citizen of Rome, can't tax a citizen of Rome, can't, and the, the soldiers that served Rome, they got a land grant at Philippi. I, I can only compare it. I, some of you, it may surprise you to know that I'm a Texan. I was born there. Now, some of you moved to Texas, and you just thought you were Texans. Born and raised. I am a citizen of the sovereign republic of Texas. And Paul is saying here, citizenship matters. Act like you were born here. 
Act like you were a citizen. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of what God has input into you. Let your output match your input. Act like a citizen. So that when I come to see you, here's the part you don't want to miss. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Boy, if anything could be said about our church, I'd love for it to be said that we're striving together so that others can hear this good news, so that others can perhaps become Christ followers, so that others can participate in this community, this, this, this affection that we have for each other. So what am I asking you to do? One, examine your input. Where are you putting yourself in a place to have input? I love that you're here. I love that some of you are taking notes. I love that some of you are still awake. I love that this is a place where you let the songs permeate you, let the the words of the Scripture uh, be part of you, that you're guarding your input. Some of you are part of small groups. You're part of mission teams. You are guarding your input because you're putting yourself in places, relationships, groups, where you know that somebody is going to speak into you the things that are of God and not necessarily of the world. I I hope that you guard your input. But I hope you evaluate your output. I hope that you take a look at the, the things that you do in part because of your Christ following status. I, like I said to Chris, if you're, if you're a follower of Christ who happens to be a general contractor, then I hope that that is what is seen, that your output is seen, that, that I make these decisions, I enter into these relationships, I sign these deals, I teach these children, I patch somebody's illness, I argue a case in court because I am a Christ follower who happens to be gifted in those areas and so that my time my skills my financial resources they are filtered through the input that is the gospel would you pray with me God when we have adversity Can we remember that we're not alone? When we think about as a teenager doing something in youth ministry instead of something else, can you you remind them that they do that? Not just because it's fun, but because it, it grows what it is that you're pouring inside of them. Father, for all of us as we examine our output, how we steward our resources. God, help us to be aware that you're pouring into us constantly, that you've allowed us to be here so that we can participate in this incredible community of affection. God, let our 
output be motivated by the input that you pour in. Let the words of our mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight because you are our God, you are our rock, you are our redeemer. God, if there's somebody in this room that goes, I don't know what he's talking about, but it sounds interesting. I think I'd like to be a part of a movement that lets others be important, that lets investments be motivated by things that maybe the world doesn't even understand. Above all, maybe there's somebody who says, God, I I want you to come into my life and forgive my sins. I want to be baptized like the people I saw today, be identified with you publicly, be a part of a small group where the input is constant. If there's someone in here or watching online and you want to pray, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. I want to be a follower of Christ. Would you let us know? I usually stand here or in the lobby. Other pastors are all around. There's the connection corner. They'll guide you. Can you um, not leave today without answering that question of, of where you are? What, what input are you allowing? God, I pray that you will honor the things we say, do, and sing as we launch out from this place during the week. I pray in Jesus' name.